puck is dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Oh, see the blast. Loose puck. Scores! Shankly wires it. Scores! What a stop by Hellebuck. Kyle Connor, Jets go bang, bang, bang. Welcome to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Welcome to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, uh, the draft preview edition of the 2023 NHL Draft. Please be joined by Sportsnet Sam Cosentino. Does your family know who you are at this moment? I ask you this question every year, but are you? Is there a missing in action poster up in your in your house right now? There's one in the house, and there's one at the <laughs> golf course. Unfortunately, <laughs> I was up there the other day just by happenstance to try and clear my mind. And the boys are like, "Are you still a member up here?" <laughs> so it was it was pretty funny. We got a couple of hockey guys up there, so they were giving me the gears pretty good. Uh, you know, every draft has well. This draft is the Connor Bedard draft, but let's outside of that. What is the strength of the 2023 NHL draft? Definitely uh, depth and forward skill. So the, you know, the one thing surrounding that is that you're seeing a lot of guys that are of similar size when it comes mm-hmm. to maybe a Zach Benson or a Braden Yeager or a Riley Height. A lot mm-hmm. of guys that are of kind of similar size, but similar skill set. So, you know, for scouts, it, uh, it becomes a situation where you have to differentiate between what you think character wise and obviously your projections further to that though, I'd look at um, a class where a lot of defensemen have emerged Mm-hmm. But we're probably still looking at, you know, seven of them going in the first round and probably two of those that might otherwise, you know, be second round guys, except for the lap, lack of depth at that position. Yeah. And then I think we got a bit of a crapshoot when it comes to the goalie. So, um, you know, Connor Bedard will play this season. Everyone always wants to know, is there anybody else that is NHL ready coming out of this draft class? Well, I mean, you'd have to consider a couple of guys. I think Leo Carlson has got to be pretty close, but typically, Mm -hmm. you know, Swedes tend to stay in an extra year and honor their contracts. And I I think Fantilli is going to be right there as well. You know, is it going to be a situation for Fantilli where he looks at year number two under Brandon Norado and says, hey, we got a real chance to go and and win something this year and kind of do the Owen Power thing where you go back and you you give it your best shot at, at winning the title and then you sign at the end of the year if that, you know, those title aspirations don't work out. So mm-hmm. there, I, I think, you know, for Fantilli, the situation is pretty clear in both places that if the team wants him and he thinks he's ready to go, he can do it right now. But then that other option exists where he is technically NHL ready, but won't get there until, you know, end of March or, or early April for the last few games of, of a regular season. Well, the World Hockey Championships, Canada wins another gold medal, but it was just another uh, spotlight for, you know, we just talked about Fantilli, Carlson, and also Reinbacher. Did any of those three players help their cause with their performance of the Worlds? Well, I, I think, you know, when you're looking at Carlson and Fantilli, those are the two and three guys, uh, like almost automatically. Right. Which one goes ahead of the other is going to be, you know, the situation that, you know, that maybe splits the two. And I don't know if either one of them separated themselves to go to or not. When I look at Anaheim, I mean, I'm thinking about uh, Ryan Getzlaff 2.0, the same way I'm looking at Chicago as Bedard being Kane 2.0. Right. And so then uh, I also look at the kind of fit with Jarmo Kekalainen as the, as the GM with, with Columbus and his ties to the European market uh, are obvious and that Leo Carlson fits in that range. So it almost seems like 
the slots work out perfectly for those first three players. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting for me is, is watching Carlson center uh, Sweden's top line for most of the tournament. And then, you know, Fantilli playing in more of a, a reserve role, a, a sort of almost like a role he played with Canada at the, at the World Juniors, yet still being able to dazzle the crowd with the one goal that everybody's mm-hmm. seen, of course. And uh, I, I don't know if either one of them separated, but I do think Carlson continued to make a strong case that he de- definitely deserves to be in that top three. There's been a lot of talk about Will Smith yeah. infiltrating that, that, yeah. that top three group. And I think Carlson did a lot to say that, hey, not not quite yet. How exciting of a player is Will Smith? Like, it just, the, you know, the U.S. NTTDP always provides that type of player. But how exciting is, is Will Smith as a player and an individual presence? Yeah, both, you know. So I've had a chance to interview him a couple of times this year. and We'll probably do so again at the Combine. And just a, a type of kid who who comes in uh, to the room. He's got a smile on his face. He's really nice. He's open about, you know, his, his family and some things that are really important to him. In terms of the on-ice thing, though, like his ability to play at pace is really important to me. A lot of times we'll see at this age someone who's got really good feet or a really good brain, but the two don't work in sync with one another. Uh, but for Will Smith, they work in sync. And so that's such a valuable commodity that when you can play at such a high speed, and your hands match that speed, you're talking about a guy who's probably really close to making that next step. So in terms of his smarts to be able to cut back and pace the game, slow it down, wait for the trailer, drive guys wide, even that center drive for him uh, is is something that was evident throughout the course of his game um, all year with the U.S. program. And You know, what's interesting, Jamie, about that program is that when you consider playing against NCAA competition, older players, USHL competition – an older junior league of sorts, but more within the, the you know, the, the, the weight class, I guess you'd say, of, of, yeah. of an 18-year-old Smith. And then getting to play internationally against the best players in your peer group across the world. So those three different levels of competition, I really think, help serve scouts well when evaluating his play against all three of those groups. And his play never dipped or wavered or changed. And that's really an important element to his game as well. We've talked about a lot of exciting players possibly that could go in the top three. The unfortunate politics aside, was the hockey world kind of robbed of the opportunity to see a special player in Matt Bay Mishkov this season and and the year before? Yeah. More importantly, the kid himself. Like, yeah, I just, I I can't imagine what the year has been like for him. You know, he moves Mm. from St. Petersburg to Sochi, uh, a little bit of time in the VHL and, you think about obviously the tragedy that he had to endure. And then you think about the fact that your draft year is supposed to be one of those amazing years from a pure on ice perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, Yet he didn't have the opportunity to show the world, especially the scouting world, what he was able to do for the most part in person. Now, were there people there to see him? Yes. Were there high end scouts there to see him? Yes, but not all when everyone else would have been there. So, not only was the world robbed of not being able to watch him play in some of those international events, the the young man, more importantly, um, robbed of what should be an amazing experience in his draft year has been full of, of adversity and challenges, mm-hmm. tragedies, and, and unfortunately, sadness. What is Mishkov, Sam? What exactly type of player is he? Yeah, really, really interesting. Like you talk, uh, Like his hands and his ability to manage the puck, are mm-hmm. super impressive. So he can escape from a pack. 
um, you know, with a good quick first step, but his hands just allow him to deceive everybody around him. And then you talk about the goal scoring ability at any angle from distance in tight, uh, being able to deep goalies play one-on-one. He has that high end offensive ability to, to do just about anything offensively. That's, that's asked of him, the creativity and some of the playmaking was seen, but more importantly, his ability to create space for himself to use his best weapon. And that's his goal scoring ability. His contract issue with the KHL is has been brought up often, but you know, lots of times players take time to get to the National Hockey League. Is this because of his contract situation? Is he going to slide in the draft, or do teams realize that it takes time for players to get ready for the NHL? Anyways, I'll be uh, probably the most interested person in the room ne- next to Matt Bay himself when it comes to watching exactly where he goes. So. Mm-hmm. From a pure skill perspective, Jamie, you know, you mentioned it already that he, he should be in that top three conversation. And who knows if he were able to spend a, a regular season um, like others in the past, maybe we're talking about him and Bedard, the way, you know, you, know, you talk about Crosby and, and, and Ovechkin, two different yeah. drafters, obviously, but we might be talking about them in that, in that same vein. And so that, that's a real, a real challenge to think about what could be now. When you're looking at the teams that would have the option to draft them, I'm looking at teams that are in the top four. They really don't have that kind of time to wait. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about Mike Greer being the uh, first full year on the job, Pat Verbeek in a similar situation, Yarmo Kekalan, and they got to move that program along quickly in, in, in Columbus. It's been a long time since that's been a, a relevant hockey club there. Yeah. So uh, now you get to Montreal, and Montreal has a lot of smaller, skilled forwards. They have a pick later in the second round, Florida, so it's, that's going to be obviously very late. Um, would they take that gamble? I'm not sure. So there's two two things that I would look at when considering where Mitchkoff would go. One of them would be the obvious Washington, Ovechkin connection. They yeah. pick eight. You know, it would be a slide, but not a, a, a dramatic slide. The other would be a team like Arizona that's picking at six and 12. Mm-hmm. Um, you're thinking about a situation that Bill Armstrong has got a a whole bunch of prospects, a whole bunch of draft picks. That's a team that can probably wait because we really don't know what the future looks like beyond this year. So they mm-hmm. can wait in terms of, of waiting for the contractual situation. And then maybe another team in the, in the mix would be Detroit, where they've had good relations with Russian players in the past. Steve Eiserman has played with a number of them in the past, has won with a number of Russian players in the past. And they also have a second first-round pick. So those would be the three teams that I would be looking at as targets for Mitchkoff. In any scenario, he probably deserves to go higher than where he's going to end up going. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising to see him go to either Detroit or Washington, as you said. Um, we've seen, listen, when we think about this draft, it's Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard. We've seen all the types of goals he scored this year, the release, the shot that he has. But there are a lot of players with great shots, elite shooting abilities in this draft. Can you give our fans couple of names or a few names in that department because it's really exciting in that, in that department this in this NHL draft. Yeah, so the, we're going to start with the U.S. under-18 program. <laughs> um, and over the course uh, of the history of that program, which I believe dates back to 96, mm-hmm. heading into this year, there were 650 goal scores. And <laughs> you think about Kessel, Matthews, uh, mm-hmm. Hughes is one of them. It, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty good list. Well, this year, that top line, all three of them, which would be Will Smith, the center, and um, Ryan Leonard on uh, on the wing, Gabe Perot on the wing, all of them surpassed that 50-goal plateau. So there's three guys there that obviously when you're scoring 50, you're a shooter. But there's some other guys that 
have that uh, ability too. I think about a Colby Barlow at 46 playing with the Owen Sound attack. Braden Yeager, whose numbers in terms of pure goal scoring weren't exactly where we'd expected them to be, um, you know, with Moose Jaw this year. But I do believe that's one big trick in his bag and probably the most um, prominent trick in his bag. So there's five pretty good goal scorers right there when I'm thinking about, uh, yeah. you know, the ability to shoot the puck. And, and as you know, that's such a, a coveted element in the draft. Um, since Connor McDavid came into this league, we've always been wondering, is there, is there going to be anybody that can equal his skating ability? And it seems like, out of not out of nowhere, but quietly, there's this little kid, not, not little, not so little, but a kid named Oliver Moore that has that skating ability. And I, I know it's not fair to say he can skate as fast as Connor McDavid, but the ability is there, is it not? Yeah, I don't think there's any any question that, especially the straight line speed with mm. Ollie, like he he can really get up and down the ice. And I think, you know, what makes Connor so special is the skating ability in the hands. And I think for Ollie, the hands are just a little bit behind where the feet are right now but obviously when you're moving that fast man you better be thinking really fast and so <laughs> I think that's something that's going to develop in his game but in terms of his work ethic getting in early on pucks he has that type of ability based on his speed but uh, but a really good worker too and I don't think that can be uh, discounted he's got a lot of compete in his game um, you know he, he's a tenacious player and so he's a guy that I'm going to be watching uh, as well because you know everyone has that element as as a high on their priority list when you're drafting yeah, yeah. players, and I don't think when it, you know when it comes to Ollie, I don't know if there is any better skater in the draft than him. Um, the Western Hockey League uh, this year, Connor Bedard will be the first Western Hockey League to go first overall since uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins in 2011. It's a but outside of that, Sam, it's a hell of a year for the Western Hockey League in terms of producing. Cal, NHL caliber players in this draft. Uh, and I think of Samuel Honzik, uh, who was hurt at the World Juniors, had a concussion, big kid, six foot four, has a big frame, is going to fill out. Did he do enough over 33 games to kind of justify going high up in the draft this year in your eyes? I think he's right in that top 10 conversation. It mm-hmm. might not be as high as 10, but I can't see him getting past 12. Okay. You have size. You have a kid that, you know, when you sit down and talk to him, you, you get a real sense for you know, like he's thinking like a pro. You talk to his coaches and general manager, uh, you know, Barkley Pernetto over there in Vancouver, and, and, you know, his habits are pro-like in terms of his eating, his rest, you know, staying last on the ice to improve his game, working with the skills coaches that, that the Giants have afforded him. So all of those things scream pro, and then mm-hmm. you match that with what you see on the ice, the puck protection, the ability to, to take the puck to the net, are, are again real important elements when you're talking about the draft. So he's a guy that I do think has the ability to to, to get inside a ten. And quite honestly, Jamie, the way things have gone here, you know, there's going to be a race for that second Western Hockey League or off the board. I think because Zach Benson and his size, some he he may drop a little bit. Braden Yager, I think, has dropped down a little bit. Nate Danielson is also a guy who's going to be in that conversation. So. It's going to be fun to watch to see what happens after Bedard in terms of Western Hockey League talent and who it is that steps up to be the second guy selected. But I do believe Hanzig is definitely in that conversation. Well, you, you just talked on, on Benson. There are a lot of skilled players in this draft and forwards, and you've kind of touched on a little bit that our question comes with their size, but they have incredible skill. We're talking about Crystal from Kelowna, Nadeau from Penticton and then Benson from Winnipeg. Are those types of players, are they able to, have they done enough this year to kind of answer 
okay, you're a little, you're, you're a little diminutive, but will you be able to take that to the next level? Have those players answer those types of questions. I could even think throw Perot from the, from the U S uh, oh, yeah. TV in that, in that department as well. Yeah, for sure. And that, and that's a long list, right? And that's where mm-hmm. really the strength of this draft is in that smallish skilled forward type of player. So, you know, when, when, when you're thinking about Benson, like 98 points on a really good team, and if you think about where their top six was at the end of the year, you know, with uh, 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 Geeky and Savoy, I mean, yeah. a really, really deep, talented forward group there. Uh, and even going back to last year at 16 years old, there were many a nights when Benson was the best player on the ice for the Winnipeg Ice. And that includes, you know, defenseman Carson Lambos and all the talented players that they've had go through there. And I think that says a lot about what he is. But getting back to just two players, um, you know, reaching over that 100-point mark this year in the Western Hockey League. Bedard obviously blew everybody away. Chase Wheatcroft and Prince George, an amazing year. And then sitting in the third spot there is, is uh, Benson with his 98 points. Really yeah. good in the playoffs as well. So, uh, you know, I think so highly of the young man. He's such a, like a fun-loving guy. He grew up with Connor Bedard. So there's that element to it as well and, and, and some friendly competition. Um, but he's such a smart player. He's always around the puck. He's so creative and makes plays. His vision is amazing. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the young man. You know, the top 10 is, is probably a reasonable goal for him. I would mm-hmm. have said earlier in the year, you know, I had him up in that six or seven range. I think that's changed a little bit, uh, but that's definitely not a mark uh, against Benson. He's an unbelievable player. What, a, what about a kid like Matt Wood? And I know I didn't throw this in our questioning uh, line, but I, I, I bring him up because he chose, he could have went to Regina to play with Connor Bedard. They played together beforehand, but he chose to go to the NCAA to play against bigger players so he gets stronger. It, 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 was that a good move on his behalf and for Matthew Wood at UConn? You know, for me, in his particular situation, mm-hmm. there's two ways to look at it. If you go and play with Bedard, you're always for sure going to be the second guy on that mm, team. Right. The second player that everybody's looking at. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. But on one hand, I have a lot of respect for a young man who wants to write his own book. Mm-hmm. And so Matthew Wood took the BCHL route there. Amazing year in his first year there. Then he yeah. goes to UConn, which is kind of an unknown school. And Maybe the thought process is I can go there, I can step in and get big minutes right away, but I can also really help put this program on the map. So, Mm -hmm. you know, puts up just about a point per game numbers there, playing for Mike Cavanaugh, uh, the coach who coached Tate Thompson when he went there so many years ago, and we know how Tate's story has worked out. So I I think for Wood, I would have, for me personally, I would have liked to have seen him play next to Bedard. Yeah to have that challenge every day as trying to, you know, beat Bedard or be yeah. a better guy than Bedard or draw the attention away from Bedard. I would have think that would have been really cool, but I mm. also think it would have helped in a situation to lift the Regina Pats to a level that they haven't been to since going back to the, you know, mm-hmm. the 17-18 season, 18-19 season. So I would have loved to have, to have seen that. Now, having said that, when I look at where Wood started the year, um, coming out of Victoria and playing for the Helenka Gretzky Cup team, winning a gold medal, not playing a ton there, then you know really lighting it up as the youngest guy at UConn, and then getting a chance to play with Canada again at the under-18s where he was really good, especially in the final game. 
you yeah. know, what you want to see from your players is that steady progression. And I think Matthew experienced that throughout the course of the year. And I think he's put himself into the top 15 conversation when, you know, after the Linka, which is where all the buzz starts <laughs> about, draft, uh, about the draft, he probably wasn't even in first round consideration. Yeah, big body too at six foot four and lots more to grow yeah. from him as well. All right. I love putting you on the spot. And then kind of like the final question of our of, of our news conference here. Um, if you're Kevin Shovel Day off, you're picking at 18, who's around there that draws your attention? I know Oliver Bonk is kind of a converse a guy from London Knights, a defenseman there, but who if you're if you're Chevy, who you who are you saying at the podium when you get up there? It's it's going to be super dependent on who's left, and I think yeah. if you have a, a Willander there, yeah, and an Axel Sandin Pelica there, mm-hmm. even Bonk, but to a lesser extent for me, mm-hmm. uh, if those other two options were available, I would keep the pick. Now, if it came down to Bonk being there at eighteen, I'd be amenable to moving the pick and acquiring a second round pick because Winnipeg doesn't have that this year. Yeah, yeah, and so I would I would definitely consider a, a drop back. Because uh, now I'm looking at probably a forward, and I think that forward do, uh, group extends quite a ways into yeah. the first round, um, and, and and that's what I would consider. So those would be the things. If one of Wilando or Axel Sandin Pelica is going to be there, and I don't think they will, mm-hmm. I'd probably keep the pick. If they're not, I'd consider a bump down and trying to acquire a second round pick and a later first. That being said, is there enough in the third round to, of interest as well? That's because the Jets won't pick again until round three at, as of the moment, the taping of this, of this podcast. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I do think there's a lot of depth there. I mm-hmm. mean, you know what you'd be looking at, there might be a goalie that presents itself there. If that's a road mm-hmm. that Chevy wants to go down. Yeah. Uh, but I do believe there's still a lot of depth there, but you know, Jamie, the, the numbers tell us, the numbers tell us like it, 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 they don't lie. You know, your top five yeah. picks, your top 10, 15. And as you move down the draft, the chances of that player playing, yes. uh, you know, they, they decrease exponentially. And so you'd want to have that extra dart, that extra dart, I think, in round two, as mm-hmm. opposed to waiting around till round three. But again, you know, they're going to be sitting there. And if they identify one guy that they're absolutely in love with, that they had 10 on their list and he's available at 18, then they're mm-hmm. going to keep the pick. For me, that, that, speaks defenseman so i don't know exactly what mark hillier and and the group are, are thinking about but that mm-hmm. would be the approach that i would take um and then you mentioned kind of like goaltender how exciting of a year was it for dominic divincentis for the jets to get him in the seventh round last year like that that season that he had this year was something else wasn't it yeah it sure was and you know what playing uh, in a program that's undergone a lot of changes in the last four or five years ryan Ulan, i think is uh is a wonderful coach. They gave it their all getting there to the <laughs> to the East Final, but couldn't get over the hump. And so for Dom, like that, that's a really cool thing because a lot of times, you know, the bags are packed and the table is is half vacated by the time you get to that seventh round pick. And mm-hmm. if you can turn that player into something that really speaks volumes about your scouting staff and 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 what they're able to do there. But you know what, Jamie, like I, I think that's an appropriate spot. I'm not saying for Dom alone, but it's an appropriate spot to take a goalie because when I yeah. look at the trajectory of goalies, they really aren't NHL ready until seven years after they're drafted. And for yeah. some of them at age 24, 25, they can come in and play some games as, as, the, as the backup guy, 20 or 25 games. 
uh, or have an extra year of seasoning in the American Hockey League. But more what we're seeing in the National Hockey League is the reliance on two goalies. So even eight years down the road after he's drafted, you're thinking about a guy that can come in there and maybe play 35 games for you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's – if you can get that player in the seventh round, man, that's that's huge. I mean, look at, look at the goaltending situations for the two teams in the Stanley Cup. I think mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, there's probably eight or nine of them that have, that have run through Vegas um, mm-hmm. and relying on a guy that I don't think they had any aspirations of relying on in Aiden Hill, um, you know, to start the cup. And you think about 10 million bucks for Bobrovsky. So you have those, those two different sides of the coin. Your really good goalies are going to cost you a ton. But if you're cycling through a lot and you're a little bit more cost effective, like you might be with an yeah. even sentence in the, in the seventh round, that's also, uh, you know, a path that that uh, that goalies can take to get to the Stanley Cup. Well, my friend, thank you for your time. Um, looking forward to seeing you in Nashville. Uh, oh, as always, your work is tremendous. Look forward to seeing it every year, and I know you work hard. So, uh, thanks for all your hard work uh, leading up to this. Yeah, nice to see you again, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, looking forward to Nashville. This has been Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. For more Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com.